trigger warning this episode contains mention of transphobia and sexual abuse if this would be problematic for your mental health skip this episode and we'll see you next time I'm O.C. Nelson. We have not started recording and the slurs have come out. I'd like it on the record that I'm the only one who didn't use the T-slur. So because neither Kate nor I are trans, we thought it would be a great opportunity to have a few actual trans people on the podcast to talk about their experiences. So we begged my roommates and they accepted. (laughs) You just have this like expression of complete fear on both. So my roommates have given me the greatest gift this life has to offer, domestic bliss. They are some of my favorite people, and I'm super excited to talk to them about this topic today. Welcome, O.C. Nelson and Dino Zitlaw. Zitlaw? Yeah, Zitlaw. You know what? Hi, hello. You can use my full name if you'd like. O.C. Yeah. Iscariot Iscariot. Nelson. That's not my full name. (laughs) I don't know what, because you always like make up a joke of what, what your middle name is, and then I'm gullible, so I believe it every time. No, what, what really? Dino Nelson, too. And then everyone will be so confused because people will be like, wait, did Brandon and Dino get married? And wait, are OC and Dino married? And okay, so. Saying, you know, okay, Megan no, no, asks wait. me constantly about what my middle name is, and I tell her every single time it's Grace. And yet. Oh, I thought you said it was Marie, and I was like, that doesn't seem. I thought it was Patrick. <laughs> No, Patrick's the fake dead name I give out. Okay, so I have three roommates, O.C., Dino, and Bryn. O.C.'s last name is Nelson. So is Bryn's. They're not married. Bryn Bryn and Dino are together. But two out of the four of us, last names are Nelson. And so they're like, we should just all change our last name to Nelson. It'd be a power move, is all I'm saying. It would just be very strong. Fear into that. We we would be a unified house. (laughs) So, OC is a 27 year old trans woman. Trans woman. My pronouns are she, her. And Dino is a 25 year old non binary person. OC and Dino live with me in Calgary, Alberta. They do things for capitalism occasionally. I would describe O.C. as gentle, affectionate, and mischievous. Do you say mischievous or mischievous? I say mischievous. Yeah, I say mischievous. She is very into all things fantasy and science fiction, Lord of the Rings, (laughs) Harry Potter, Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, nerd alert! Um, I'm... <laughs> you invite me onto your podcast <laughs> for this? Stop playing your game so you can come upstairs and I can roast you. So we can listen to Harry Dresden together? You're right. That's way less nerdy. Okay, I would describe Dino as a benevolent instrument of chaos. So Dino might not care what you think of them, but they will, by golly, make sure you are cared for. So I think they call that chaotic good in the... I don't know. I'll see you. <laughs> the expert. You're the expert. So Dino is very skilled at fixing things and has more marketable skills than I ever will have. They are in a committed and loving relationship with our other roommate, Bryn. 
But Brent and Dino would like you to know that they've only ever held hands. Dino and Otisi have both been raised in the church. Osi's pronouns are she, her, and Dino's pronouns are they, them. So I met Dino when I was living in an intentional community house known as the House of Commons. I didn't name it. That's all I'm saying. Dino used to work summers out at Gold Lake Bible Camp, and then they heard about the HOC through there. Many of our former HOC members are closely affiliated with Gold Lake. And so they, quote unquote, applied to live at the HOC. <laughs> and they were there with me until we closed the house down. I met Elsie through Bernardino, and I have no clue how you guys met. Yeah, just through the yes. Awaken yeah, community. and Yeah. Okay. This first question is for OC. OC, how long have you been living as a fully transitioned lady person? Yeah, so I think that that question is a little bit complicated because like, when you transition, I don't, I feel like probably for a lot of people, I mean, it's a pretty big life altering shift. And so it's less of like, oh, I've gotten here and now it's done. Mm-hmm. And more so in an ongoing process. And I think like, while I'm pretty, pretty confident in my identity and where I am at with it, mm-hmm. you know, it's changed once before. So I'm... <laughs> <laughs> am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Yeah. Yeah. So, in, so yes. who the fuck knows, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that being said though, I uh, kind of came out publicly about five years ago and that's when I started doing hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. And so I've been living fully out for yeah about the past five years. Okay. Cool. Um, do you know how long have you been non-binary for your whole life since birth but uh when (laughs) when did you (laughs) when did you let the rest of the world in on it um i came out on january 1st of 20 you were born then i wasn't born of 2021 oh oh just a sweet little baby just a sweet little baby. I had like, like that was like my full like public like post on social media kind of mm-hmm. come out, but I'd come out to like a lot of like friends and family before yeah. then. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this question is for both of you. How old were you when you realized that your sex and your gender identity did not match? Do you want to start this time, D? Um, you want to feel this one out? I, yeah. <laughs> I figure, yeah, I I figure we'll go back and forth. Yeah, yeah that's a good call. Oh, um, sharing. Wow, oh, sharing. Wow. caring. I, I think it's like a really complicated thing for me, especially like my understanding of non-binary. I think when like the concept of like being transgender was presented to me, it was at a time when it was still a lot more common for people to view being transgender in like the gender binary. If there's like two genders, there's you're either a man or you're a woman and you can like go from one to the other, but like you can't just like be neither, which is what Mm -hmm. I would mostly identify as. So yeah, I would say like at that time, I think that like, I never really felt like a, a female, like I was assigned at birth, but I first started like finding out more about like non being non-binary and like how it was more of a like legitimate thing because it when it what when I first learned about it it was kind of in like a way where like being non-binary is like lesser than or it's like 
kind of made up. It's like a little bit like silly and like niche. Yeah. Um, but I think <laughs> actually edgy. now like it just came to me that the first time I like heard the first time I had heard about you can call it whatever you want. Yeah, whatever the fuck you, you want. Yeah. First time I had heard about like non-binary identities from a perspective that kind of like clicked with me was when I was listening to Jonathan Van Ness's podcast. They had uh, a loke whose last name I don't know how to pronounce. That's okay. Okay. I think they we'll just like use, dropped their last we'll name. We'll just use Jones and see what happens. Yes. Alok Jones. <laughs> Not their real last name. I just knew that Jones was really um, easy to pronounce for white. Yeah. <laughs> Alok like went into detail on how the concept of like non-binary identities isn't like a new Western thing. And it's been present in so many cultures for so 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 long mm-hmm. and i was like oh, okay so this like has like a history to it and that kind of like legis- legitimized it for me i guess more so and so i think in that podcast i was or when i listened to that podcast i was kind of like oh okay like i could see myself identifying with this and then i just like started to learn more and more about it and i think around like mid 2020 that's when i like fully realized that i did want to come out as non-binary mm-hmm. well see you're up to bat yeah, so I mean, my journey has been very different than Dino's, but I've always kind of known, like, I remember even, so like when I was three or four, my family lived in Montreal. We would just go play a lot, like, not necessarily at playgrounds, but we would just like make pretend all the time. And oftentimes, even back then, like, one of my favorite like daydreams kind of was like, oh, what if I somehow magically got turned into a woman? Wouldn't that be silly and goofy? Oh, that'd be crazy. <laughs> right. And like, I always like growing up in the context that I did, even back then kind of knew that the goal of existence um, through kind of like the Christian lens was conformity more so yeah. than standing out. And so... I really did keep it to myself for a long time. I really did kind of treat that desire more as just like a silly daydream. But it was when I was seven and we were living in Quebec City at this point. I had come home from school one day and my mom had been reading a newspaper article and she started telling me about it. And it was about, at the time, the youngest person who had ever transitioned. Right. Yeah, I immediately like was like, oh, my God, like that's something that people can do. This is like so cool. This is so exciting. Um, And then, you know, I can't remember if it was my mom or someone else listening, but someone would just said, oh, that's so weird. Yeah. And so that was kind of the beginning of like me really realizing how Christians felt about trans identities specifically. Mm -hmm. And so it took me a long time after that, um, still to come out. Um, cause I really was committed to being a good boy for Jesus. <laughs> Same. You Millions. are a good boy for Jesus, Megan. Thank you. Oh my <laughs> gosh. You flatter. So how did your family and church community react when you came out? Yeah. I mean, bad like <laughs> like bad I don't think that's like maybe a shock I think 
for me, there was a really big difference in how my family um, reacted comparatively to how my church community reacted in the sense that like it started off really bad with my family. Like I would say the reactions felt about the same, right? I think there was a lot of like hesitation and fear. And I think a lot of people and in a way, and I don't know if this is right, but like, I think a lot of them felt pretty betrayed because up, up until that point, like I had really been presenting male, you know, and like I was really committed to giving it, a shot yeah let's give this whole male thing a shot see what happens yeah and so i think like when i came out and started transitioning a lot of people felt very um like disillusioned with who i was yeah but i think the big difference with my family comparatively to my church community at the time was my family kept asking questions yeah right and they they did love me a lot and so you know despite them always holding a non-affirming position they really did want to understand yeah and so it it did take a couple years but I think like now not not all obviously but most of my family I am super fortunate are in an affirming place now you know which I yeah I recognize is not the case for many many queer people in church communities and vis-a-vis like church communities like I came out right out after bible school and so most of my friends from bible school dropped contact like fully right just because to them they took they didn't want to be guilty by association yeah well I think a lot of them kind of felt like by continuing to associate with me they were kind of giving up their moral beliefs or condoning the lifestyle yeah yeah whatever reasoning yeah. you want to use yeah for that right and i think like what that really comes down to is more just like internalized fear yeah you know but yeah and then i definitely did shuffle around church communities for a while kind of always you know yeah not always fitting in exactly but then eventually you know i did find awaken it was more positive for sure yeah <laughs> What about you, Dina? Yeah, so when I came out, I wasn't really actively a part of any church. I, like, had been going to Awaken for a little bit, but then stopped um, during the pandemic. So there wasn't, like, a big reaction from any, like, church community for me. Who was, like, more present in my life at the time was still my community from Gull Lake Center. And, yeah, I think it was, like, kind of similar to, like, OC with her cape and my friends of, like, them, like, not really being sure if, like associating with me like meant that they like approved and like if they were like allowed to do that it wasn't like for the most part like for my closer friends at least I don't think they like really struggled with that but yeah I think that there was some kind of like awkward tension there my family was definitely the harder sell or at least my immediate family that my parents I had told them beforehand because I didn't want them to like find out on social media yeah as much as a part of me was, like, didn't necessarily, like, feel that they were, like, owed, like, an explanation. I just yeah. felt that it would go over better. And, I mean, maybe it went over better than it could have. But I still think that there was a lot left to be desired. Yeah, I guess the church I grew up in d- did play a part in it. And so far as my mom really thought that God didn't want her to use my pronouns. Um, and my 
like chosen name at first. And so she talked to one of the pastors at her church, which I'd grown up at. And he said that if his son, like who was this, but if his son was transgender, then he would use like his kid's name and like preferred name and preferred pronouns outside of the house. But when his kid was like at home, he would like use like his, like he, him pronouns and like his birth name and so my mom was like oh that's what we'll do for you like whenever you come over to our house like this is just what we'll call you and I was like I won't be coming over to your house and I probably won't be seeing you much in general in that case like that just like is really demeaning and my Did mom like change her mind? yeah she was instantly like oh okay then we'll just like use they've been pronouns <laughs> it was pretty whack uh they do still definitely slip up on my pronouns and stuff but it has like very like gradually been like less and less so my extended family is more affirming I actually just realized uh, my aunt wrote me did you hear the Christmas card that I read at Awaken once my aunt wrote me this card with like a beautiful kind of like type poem I don't know if she found it or if she wrote it but I'd love to go get it and read it so yeah this past Christmas which was almost I guess the two-year anniversary of me coming out my aunt gave me this card that she wrote for me goes in the beginning god created light and separated it from darkness later he created elm trees and that perfectly shady spot that is somehow light and dark at the same time another day he separated dry land from the waters but we still have marshes and fens he created those too another day he put lights in the firmament to divide day and night but sunsets are so beautiful it seems to me that the only true, truly binary systems on earth are those created by man. I know that God made you. God knows you. God loves you. And so do we. Yeah, that's so fucking nice. Right? And this aunt, the kind of funny thing with that is that she's Mormon. And my mom spent like my entire childhood like telling me how Mormons are so judgy. Yeah, judgy <laughs> and like backwards and like not loving. And yeah, somehow... My Mormon aunt is like the most loving of all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. When I read this, I was like, okay, I'm ready to convert to Mormonism. Like, <laughs> I'll pray whatever prayer you got. I'm Mormon now. Where's the, where's the altar call? I'm yeah. ready. I'm ready. I'm fucking God. ready. So how have you been treated by the church? Were you told anything overtly or was it more just like an undertone of like, oh, this is just a big question. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> I think for me, it, it was both of those. For sure. Both. Right. Like, yeah. I think a very weird part about growing up queer is that in a lot of ways, you have to grow up a lot faster than a lot of other kids. Right. And so, yeah. While like at school, my friends were playing Pokemon or marbles in the dirt. I was like, do you think it's wrong if God made the wrong body? And they were just like, what the fuck are you even talking about? A lot of the time when I was using people kind of as a sounding board to yeah. kind of figure out my feelings and stuff on this, <laughs> I would end up going to adults. Yeah. Right? And as a missionary kid... All of the adults in my life were fairly fundamentalist um, when it came to their Christianity, right? And I would never ask it about me, right? I'd yeah. say stuff like, what do you think about gay people? What do you think about someone who is not me, but who is yeah, gay? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and I mean, like, clearly I did a good enough job because people were still shocked when I came out, right? But 
it was always kind of like the same thing of like, well, God, you know, just hates some people. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, never explicitly as that, but like the amount of like mental gymnastics that they would have to do to like tell me that hating gay people was okay while also simultaneously having to love everybody. Oh, um, it was really weird. I mean, I think I probably have an unfortunately common experience in the way that like I internalized a lot of messaging yeah. um, growing up in the church. I think what people don't necessarily understand so much is that people think that I was either socialized a guy or as a girl, right? Yeah. When a lot of the time, like I was just taking in met- messaging from both sides. Yeah. Right. That would be so confusing. And so a lot of the time it was like, I am a predator who only wants physical things and I'm like if I'm not restrained who knows what could happen and then on the other side right I'm being told that my body is basically just a tool of evil and temptation right and so to put it like lightly this has given me a very complicated relationship with my body and how I interact with other people given that which I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of the church's goal. You know, I think that yeah. an embodied person is someone who is less likely to be manipulated by abusive spirituality and abusive theology. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Bible school really fucked it up for me. I think in a yeah. lot of ways, because I think especially there, that's like where kind of purity culture messaging was at its strongest, just because We were a bunch of like very young adults, basically still kids, right? Living on this island with basically no supervision (laughs) because how kind of the leadership was structured was there's like 10 adults and then most of the leadership were second year students, right? Then there was just like a hundred first year students, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like 118 year olds. A handful of 19 year olds. and That sounds horrible. Like literally horrible. I don't know why they thought that this would end well, you know, <laughs> like, I'm sure that it has worked for some people, but like at the same time, you know, you put a bunch of horny kids on an island with nothing to do. And they're what did they think was going to happen? Right. Like, what did they think? But then because of like this purity culture angle, basically how it worked at the school was if you had sex, you failed and you're going to hell, they would kick you out. Like, no questions asked, they would kick you out, right? There was obviously a super unhealthy sex culture at this school, right? But how would they even confirm? Did they have video cameras everywhere? Well, no, because I think, like, a big part of my growing up in Christianity, too, was just learning to self-police. Oh. Right? Like, I think if you can convince someone that they are evil, but that they want to be good, they will tattle on themselves. Because that's the right and good thing to do, right? And so that happened in my first year where two of the students had sex and one of them was like, I did a bad and evil thing with my body. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And then they just kicked them out. And they were not expecting to get kicked out or else I don't think they would have ever... Self-police that hard? (laughs) No, they would have never come forward, right? Which kind of comes to like one of my biggest issues with that type of Christian structures. There's a lot of similarities in a lot of like fundamentalist Christian communities, Mm -hmm. but that kind of atmosphere covers up sexual abuse. 
like like yeah. perfectly right oh, and like God. while I was at that school I entered into a sexually abusive relationship with one of the older students but because there was such this culture of sex is evil your body is evil you are evil and if you come forward we're going we're not going to help you we are going to kick you out it sure as hell silenced to me who knows what other shit gets just like swept under the rug i mean the question how have you been treated by the church like it's, the, it's a loaded gun for no sure. no for sure and like <laughs> the reality is is like in so many ways like as a vulnerable person the church has failed yeah and you know like there are still so many themes that i connect with vis-a-vis christianity and the church but i think like at the end of the day like living life to the fullest and peace that surpasses understanding that has never once come from engaging with the church Mm -hmm. yeah you know now awaken has modeled that a lot better and i can see a lot of healthy christianity and a lot of healthy spirituality in it but yeah the reality is i am a queer person who has been very hurt by the church and unfortunately like i got out luckier than a lot of people you know yeah do you know i just asked i just asked oc this but how 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 have you been treated by the church i know there was some stuff with a certain organization that we've already mentioned it was called like um (laughs) yeah i like never was really interested in going to awaken at first because i was just like i had a lot of trauma not even from Gull Lake or the church I grew up in, but I did gap year type program with a big missions organization known as YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And that was like where I think the biggest part of my religious trauma came from. And so, yeah, I came back from that and lived at the House of Commons, was very like wary of like Christian groups. And I think Awaken, it seemed dangerous. And so that's why I never engaged with it for as long as I did. Yeah, YWAM was like an extremely controlling, kind of like insular. What YWAM and Awaken do have in common is that there is like a really big value on community. But Mm -hmm. I think the underlying reasons for that is like with YWAM, it was like about control and about like holding like power over like these young people, being able to like just manipulate them into doing like pretty much whatever. With Awaken, it's like a much more healthy thing of like, I'll believe that like, together we're like stronger and better and healthier yeah and there's like still space in awaken to like celebrate our differences space that like my mom definitely didn't have mm-hmm. yeah kind of community through yeah. unity as opposed to conformity yeah yes yeah i never came out at ymm or anything because early on I heard like multiple speakers like talking about how they were like ex-gay early on in my ymm journey i was like oh can't talk about really anything deep because it will be used against me. How old were you when you decided to seek gender affirming care and what was that process like? But it kind of like happened when I wasn't necessarily expecting it back in the summer of 2021. So this was like six months ish after I first came out, 
I went to the doctor because I had mono and it was kind of just like a checkup to see if I was like ready to go back to work or not. And my regular doctor was on vacation. So she had like a substitute doctor, basically. There was just another doctor at the clinic. And well, like my family doctor is like very affirming and like definitely like is still learning. Like she's very like supportive and caring and kind. Mm -hmm. But this other doctor just like, she must just like have something going on in her life. I've always figured because she just like really like laid into me at this conversation where I was like, I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to go back to work yet because I think I got mono in the first place because work is really stressful. She was like, well, why is work stressful? And then I was talking about how like I was working in a busy cafe and was just getting like misgendered by customers all day. And like customers would like make fun of my pronouns on occasion or like just like say such uncalled for things. Like she like brought like race into it in a really strange way and was like well like black people like just got their rights and like as like a transgender person like you got to be patient like you can't just expect that everyone's like gonna gender you correctly yeah and so it's very upsetting as I was like walking out of the clinic I had to like pay for like the doctor's note to be like yeah I still have mono but I like just really didn't want to pay this doctor for like being so mean so I just like broke down and started crying and so then the clinic director or, or like manager or someone I, I didn't know. know any of this yeah it's a weird story she like pulled me aside and like was another like very like she was like my doctor and very kind and compassionate mm. and like was like wow like this we really like messed up and she was like actually like one of the top gender doctors in Calgary works out of our clinic his name is like Ted Jablonski hey Jablonski um, yeah Jablonski <laughs> Yeah, like half of the trans people in Calgary, like see Jablonski and he works out of that clinic. So we can like make sure that you're like at the top of the list and we'll get you in like soon. And I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that's what I want. And so then I went and saw Jablonski and he was like, I think I started testosterone around March of 2022. It took a while because I had to get like blood work done and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like he does just like have such a long wait list to get in and see him every time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that's how I started accessing gender affirming care it's kind of just like a bad experience but at least like good came out of it yeah i guess oh see what about you did you uh did you see jablonski (laughs) kind of so for me it was i don't know i think it was has always been a bit more clear to me given that i've kind of just shuffled on over from one end of the gender spectrum to the other Where it's like, yeah, I always kind of, I knew I wanted bottom surgery. And like, I always knew I wanted to look more femme. I first started accessing gender for room care, like pretty much right after it came out. So 2018, I was living in Edmonton at the time. So I saw the Edmonton Jablonski. (laughs) Basically, basically just like looked up, you know, like gender specialists in Edmonton. Saw a gender specialist for like three sessions or whatever, she referred me to this doctor and yeah, got access to it. Bottom surgery is a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. I think, I think maybe a lot of cis people have a misconception sometimes that like people just like are changing their genders yeah, and that this is just like something that can be done quickly. Yeah. Like swap. Yeah, right. Swap like a room. it's Let's not. Swap her out. I, you know, part of me does wish it would have been as easy as getting like a tire rotation, but unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, like I started like medically transitioning back in 2018, and I was on the wait list the whole time for bottom surgery, and I I had bottom surgery like a year ago. Yeah, that's a four year long. 
wait list, right? Like, I think if I was having second thoughts, I would have had, I had so much time to think about it. Yeah, a lot. Like the whole process just takes so much longer than I think a lot of people think it does. Like even getting hormones Mm -hmm. took like six months of me making constant appointments and talking to people and like, basically it's not like you just roll up in there and they're like oh sounds good to us no and kind of like maybe kind of like what dino is saying a lot of people you need to convince them of it too right it's not even just like hi hello i'm trans and they're like oh here are your your women pills and then that's (laughs) it right like i had to sit down with multiple doctors and convince them that i was trans enough to start on hormones yeah, it's not a glamorous process. No. And then you go through puberty a second time, which is fucked. Like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever met a person who's been like, puberty? Loved that. Would love yes. to do it. Man, I wish I could do it a second time. <laughs> Except this time you're doing it around all of your adult friends who kind of hate for it. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> people who are like, why did you choose to be trans? Like, I'm like such a lazy motherfucker. Are you kidding me? If I could have not done any of this. Like, you think I like enjoy this? You know. Surprise, bitch. I don't. Yeah, like the process is such a grind. But but it was like, obviously it was worth it. Yeah. Like, I need to make that very clear. Yeah. As much of a hell nightmare as it was, it was worth it. Yeah. Quote one of the great trans prophets, contrapoints. Like, <laughs> I just operate at the same fun- like level of dysfunction as everyone else now. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. L- life isn't perfect, but I don't want to kill myself anymore. So, we've got that going for me. Yeah. You know? It's always a big Yeah. It's a big yeah. plus. But what are some struggles you face as a trans person that cisgender people don't have to struggle with or think about? Dino, you go first. I mean, as a non-binary person, a really common example is, like, bathrooms. Like, if there was no, like, fear of, like, my safety, I would probably choose men's, at least most of the time. But, like, mm-hmm. being in a bathroom with cis men is, like, the scariest, like, most near-death experience I think I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, I normally still use, like, the women's washrooms. But at some point, I would like to grow a beard. And, like, at that point, it's going to be a little bit more tricky to be, like... Now I'm not going to be welcome in women's bathrooms either because I'm going to be so visibly not like a cis woman. Mm-hmm. So I'll cross that bridge when I come to it, I guess. But another thing is like medical situations. Um, I recently started donating plasma, which overall, like doing it, I don't like regret going. But there was like quite the kerfuffle with them figuring out whether to put male or female on my like file because they don't have like an option to say like neither or like Mm self-specified which was like a little bit funny to me because I found most like medical places that I go these days do have that option Mm -hmm. so it kind of like took me back a little bit when they were like so like stressed about not knowing which box to like put me in yeah Yeah. but yeah now it just says female on my sheet and everyone always uses she her pronouns for me and yeah oh I'm not about to correct every single, like, nurse every single time. It yeah, sometimes awesome. you just have to let yeah, that stuff slide. Sometimes it's like... And it yeah. is the worst. Yeah. 
yeah, you like feel a little bit like you're like betraying yourself, but it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Why would I do the emotional labor for this stranger? Like, yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's not, not fun really, it. Yeah, I know. What about you, Elsie? Yeah, I think, I think something that a lot of cis people don't understand is just like the level of scrutiny. Yeah. That we are under, especially in my experience as a trans woman, right? Like, first of all, a lot of people just hate women. <laughs> right? Like, was it like jarring kind of coming over and then being like, oh, people hate this gender? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yes and no, right? Like, again, I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian environment. Mm. It wasn't like a shock to me. Mm. That, uh-oh, people hate women? What? <laughs> Who fucking saw this one coming? Yeah. When it comes to, like, really, you're, like, cis het white men, it's hard to tell, like, do you hate me because I'm trans or because I'm a woman? <laughs> or probably both. <laughs> no, but I think, like, especially in my early years of transitioning, people were very hyper-vigilant about, like, how I was dressing, how I was presenting. Like, I think I wore a dress shirt one time and I like one of my great aunts or whatever was like, oh, so are you a guy again now? <laughs> and it's just like, oh, I'm just a lady who wanted to wear a fucking dress shirt, you psycho. <laughs> oh, it's, get, it's getting easier, obviously, but in, in a lot of ways, too. I'm like, oh, like I didn't start doing makeup until five years ago. Yeah. Whereas like all my peers right. who do makeup have been doing makeup like forever. You know, and so in a lot of ways, like, it makes me feel like I'm all pretty far behind mm-hmm. um, on a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Because there's this magnifying glass on my life. It's like, I'm expected to put out the same level of femininity as cis women. Yeah. But if I do that. Yeah. Then I'm trying too hard. Yeah. And then if I don't do that then why did I even transition in the first place? Oh. Right? And I think a lot of the time in uh, affirming communities and stuff, like, Mm -hmm. it's easy to forget that it's like that. Yeah. You know, because I don't need to try as hard and I can just be myself in a lot of ways. Yeah. Even then, like, some people do it. Like, once they find out I'm trans, they'll be like, oh. What what little piece of you can I pick out that will be like, oh, yes, I should have seen that one coming because, of yeah. course, you are trans because of this thing, right? Yeah. And so there is weird tension living as a trans woman of, like, how do I honor myself and my body while also existing in a world that really does make people like me to be like public enemies yeah there's probably like this constant pressure to like the onus is on you to convince other people yeah yeah but it's like no one can that's exhausting (laughs) oh no no it it really (laughs) is right and i mean like it gets easier all the time i think right but you know it's still something that like i just have i just have to navigate Mm -hmm. you know and I'm very fortunate to be in a place right now where I have a lot of people who just respect me as a human being. <laughs> Woo! But, you know, I also operate in a lot of spaces where, like, I can't assume that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Working at a senior's home. Oh, you yeah. know, going to a mall. Yeah. You know, going to a doctor's office like Dino was mentioning. Like, you just, you never know. 
when someone, when a trans when, was going to pop up. Yeah, like when you need to defend yourself, basically, yeah. right? And so you're kind of on high alert all the time. And I imagine like the, a, a lot of those feelings are similar for a lot of minorities. Like, yeah, being aware that like people could just start perceiving you negatively at any point and then you'll oh, be in danger, right? That's awful. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for coming on my social experiment podcast. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. That concludes our episode for this week's. Thanks so much for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at showbizpod or by email at showbizbabypodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week for a completely unhinged discussion on online dating. Bye.